As we go to open God's word together, let's ask him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Father in heaven, great peace have those who love your law, and nothing can make them stumble. So let our cry come before you, O Lord, and give us understanding according to your word. Let our plea come before you and deliver us according to your word. And our lips will pour forth praise, for you teach us your statutes. Our tongues will sing of your word, for all your commandments are right. And hear us, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's word to the book of Proverbs, chapter 11. Proverbs, chapter 11. You're visiting with us. We're glad to have you here this morning. And we've been considering a series through the book of Proverbs, and we've come to Proverbs chapter 11. And we're going to read together the first 15 verses of the chapter and think about wisdom in the covenant community. You'll find that on page 679 in most of the Pew Bibles between the books of Psalms and Ecclesiastes. So Proverbs chapter 11, beginning at verse 1, and let's pay careful attention, for this is God's own word. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight his delight. When pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. The integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath. But righteousness delivers from death. The righteousness of the blameless keeps his way straight, but the wicked falls by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright delivers them, but the treacherous are taken captive by their lust. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish, and the expectation of wealth perishes too. The righteous is delivered from trouble. And the wicked walks into it instead. With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. But by knowledge, the righteous are delivered. When it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. But by the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. Whoever belittles his neighbor lacks sense, but a man of understanding remains silent. Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. Where there is no guidance, a people falls, but in in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Whoever puts up security for a stranger will surely suffer harm. But he who hates striking hands in pledge is secure. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Uh, We're continuing to think about this interesting section of Proverbs that is teaching us wisdom by way of contrasts. Um, And we continue to see that over and over again in this section of Proverbs. One thing contrasted with another. And maybe at the first read through, it doesn't seem like uh, many of these things have anything to do with the others. Uh, So thinking about how to go through this book and and group it together, I've had a number of times where I've told other pastors I'm preaching through Proverbs, and they say, what what are you doing with it? Um, How do you 
what do you do once you get to all these, you know, sort of propositions? I was at the Ligonier conference yesterday. It was a great conference, and Derek Thomas asked me that question. How are you going through it? How are you? So even someone who really knows what he's doing is sort of asking, how are you doing it? I know how I've tried to do it. Um, because it can seem so disconnected. The only commonality almost can seem that there are these contrasting statements. Um, but I do think we, I, as we've gone along, I hope we've seen how you can group these things helpfully together and see how there are helpful things being said. We can understand something of the thrust of what's going on. And I think here we're being told particularly the things, again, that are being emphasized over and over again in this section of Proverbs. A particular contrast between the wise and the foolish that highlights the righteousness of the wise and the wickedness of the fool. And teaches us over and over again The wise and the righteous have a future. The fool and the wicked do not. And so the implicit call, the simple call that comes over and over again is, be righteous, be wise, because then you have a future. Don't be like the wicked and like the fool whose future will be cut off. And there's a sense in which that each of us has to bear the consequences of the road we walk. Uh, we can think about the fact that uh, we were told in Proverbs 9.12, if you're wise, you're wise for yourself. If you scoff, you alone will bear it. Well, there's a sense in which, you know, that the wicked will bear the consequences of their own wickedness, while the, the righteous and the wise will reap the blessings of God's righteousness imputed to them. Uh, there will be blessing for some, there will be cursing for others, but even though that's intensely individual, Uh, We're also reminded over and over again in Proverbs that our conduct has effects on the people around us. Um, We don't just suffer or or enjoy blessing in isolation, that it has effects on the community around us. And I think that's the common theme that that is coming in these verses, that it's not just wisdom by myself, but wisdom in community. How my wisdom and righteousness or how my foolishness and wickedness affects not only myself, but those around me. And that's what I think is going on in in these particular verses. We're seeing that kind of wisdom and community and those impacts of wickedness and righteousness in the community. And so I want to look at these verses under sort of three headings. I think first we see conduct that is favored. That's the first thing we see, conduct that is favored. Second, we see character that is delivered. And finally, we see communication that is skilled. All of these things that have impacts on the community. So I want to think about these verses under those headings. Conduct that is favored, character that is delivered, and communication that is skilled. And hopefully this will help us to learn to live wisely and righteously in community with one another and our neighbors. The first thing we encounter here is conduct that is favored. There's a contrast in conduct offered to us in the first two verses. Um, And the first one is the conduct of honesty versus deceit. Um, We have in verse 1, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. A false balance is something you use in the marketplace to try to deceive other people. Um, It's the way of trying to trick them into thinking you're getting more for your money than you are. Um, And apparently this was a rampant problem in Israel because this warning occurs over and over again in the scriptures. This, this warning against using false balances. Um, I think uh, 
uh, there was a Norman Rockwell painting where there was someone at the, at the butcher's counter and the butcher on the one side of the counter is putting his hand on the scale to try to make it look heavier and on the other side of the counter there's the customer putting their hand under the scale to try to push it up. Um, and so they're, they're both trying to cheat one another. Um, and what God says is he takes that very seriously. It might not seem a very serious thing. We can all kind of chuckle, and I think that's the point of that cartoon, to sort of laugh a little bit at it. But God is not laughing. right? God takes it very seriously. So seriously that we're told it's an abomination to the Lord. Um, it's an abomination to the Lord to do something like this. Um, and, and why is God so angry with this kind of thing? I mean, an abomination is something where we read it excites his moral outrage and punishment. It's the kind of thing that God will surely punish because he's so angry about it. Um, and, and why would that be? Why would something like this provoke that kind of response in our God? It's because he knows in, into trying to deceive the neighbor, we're really saying God won't see and avenge this. That we can kind of sin with impunity because if we can trick them, we can get away with it. Um, and it really is denying that God is the God of justice, that God is watching over the community, that God will see to it that wickedness is punished. By outwardly defrauding our neighbor, we are inwardly denying our God. Um, and God does not want that. He does not want that deceit going on, particularly amongst his own people in the covenant community, deceiving themselves. It would be sort of like making counterfeit bills in your basement and then putting them in the offering plate. Right? You'd be defrauding your own people that way. Um, and God doesn't want to see that kind of thing happen. Deceitfulness is condemned. What of honesty? Well, God says a just weight is his delight. There you have the favor of the Lord. Because they are seeking to do his will. They are acknowledging his moral government of the order. And what comes to those people? Well, honor, delight from the Lord, his favor, which implies also his deliverance from judgment. Um, that they will be delivered in the judgment because he delights in them. This is... Seemingly a small thing, isn't it? But it's a reminder the Lord is concerned even with the small things. He's concerned with his justice. And so there's this important contrast in the community between honesty and deceit. And then it brings us to a more general kind of behavior, more general kind of conduct in pride. Um, pride and humility is the next conduct that we really see in contrast. Um, that God loves those who are humble, but he hates the proud. Verse 2 says, pride comes in. Kind of pride comes strive, you know, strutting in. That's kind of the picture that, that Proverbs gives us. Pride walks in. And it's a kind of pride, it comes from a sort of Hebrew wor word, at its root is sort of a bubbling or boiling up. Um, pride just sort of bubbles up out of people. Um, and they and what is so terrible about pride in the community? Well, when you're full of pride, you think of yourself as better than everyone else. C.S. Lewis famously called pride the anti-God state of mind, that it was through pride that the devil became the devil. Because when you're proud, you look down on everyone else, including God. Um, and it's something that God 
hates. It brings the contempt of other people. Nobody likes proud people. Um, But God particularly will oppose the proud. It turns God into your adversary. Um, It's something that is warned against here, and it brings disgrace. Um, it's, it, one person referred to disgrace as the uninvited guest that always comes along with pride. Um, you, you're proud and, and you're disgraced on account of it. Pride always goes before the fall. Um, and what does God hate? He hates pride. He opposes the proud. Um, but what of the opposite? What of the, the humble here? It's an interesting word for humble. It appears really only here in the Bible. There's a sort of near form of it in Micah 6.8 when God tells us to walk humbly with him. Uh, but it's a kind of humility that's particularly concerned with doing the will of God. Being biddable to what God is calling us to do. And that's the kind of thing God loves. The prideful person is always against God. Set against God. Set against others. And God is set against them. But the humble, the one who is biddable, who is going along with God, what do they receive? But the humble is wisdom. And again, by implication, not just wisdom, but the honor that comes with it. The person who humbly does the will of God becomes known in the community as someone who is wise. And they are honored as someone who is doing the will of God and who doesn't think of themselves as better than their neighbor, who is willing to serve when service is what's required. You can see how that kind of person is a blessing to the community. But right here at the beginning, what does God want to drive home to us? Whether it's the interactions in the marketplace or the general way we carry ourselves, the Lord is watching. The Lord is not unconcerned with our conduct. Um, The God in heaven is watching. And there are blessings that will come from his hand to those who through faith are living lives of obedient service to him. And God is giving us out of his goodness and grace all of these blessings. But there is also a God who is watching in heaven. And those who are transgressing his law without a care to what he thinks about things, will also receive products from his hand, but they will be the products of his holiness and of his justice. That God is concerned with what goes on in the world. And because God is watching is a good enough reason for us to conduct ourselves with honesty, to conduct ourselves with humility, because we want to do the things that are pleasing to the Lord. Uh, This is the character we want to be formed in us by the Holy Spirit. It benefits not just us, but the people who are around us. And I think that's the drive of those first two verses. Um, Because it leads us right in from conduct to think about character. To think about the kind of character that is delivered. There are, in verses 3 through 8, there are many references to righteousness Many different ways of referring to the righteous. It gives us an all-encompassing view of righteous people. Um, We read about the integrity of the upright, righteousness, the righteousness of the blameless, the righteousness of the upright, 
The righteous person, singular in verse 8. The righteous people, plural in verse 9. It's a complete view of righteousness, of a life lived in complete harmony with God. That's the character of the people that's being described in verses 3 through 8. The righteous who are showing that covenant loyalty, who are walking with the Lord. And what is the message of this righteousness over and over again in these verses? It delivers them. Righteousness delivers them. They live in the complete security of righteousness, and deliverance is the thing, the theme that follows often with this righteousness. Um, And it's a glorious picture of righteousness and the deliverance that comes with it. Um, We can see that more in detail as we go through. First, we see that with righteousness comes deliverance from death in verses 3 and 4. What is the problem with the wicked? They walk in many perverse and treacherous ways. Their ways are always twisted. Their ways are always crooked. They're always trying to build up wealth as their strong city. That will be their hedge against any future problems. But what are we told in verse 4? Riches do not profit on the day of wrath. The second part of verse 3 says, The crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. They wander on twisted paths, thinking they can build up their own security. But what do they find? On the day of wrath, it doesn't profit them anything. Here this word for wrath carries with it the sense not just of, of wrath, but the fierceness of God's wrath. The fury of it. Uh, The fury of God's wrath, as one commentator says, expresses an overwhelming and complete devastation. God's wrath burns, overflows, and sweeps everything before it away. Uh, You can't build a strong city against that. There's no saving yourself from the wrath to come. Uh, But the righteous person has not strayed into those paths. Verse 3 tells us the integrity of the upright guides them. And righteousness, verse 4, delivers from death. They don't walk in the twisted paths. The paths of treachery, the paths that lead to ruin and death. They walk in the path that leads to life. They've walked by faith in grateful obedience. There's no fury for them to fear. And even when the fury of the final judgment comes, it will not sweep the righteous away. Because to the righteous belongs deliverance from death. It's a wonderful truth of of righteousness here. It delivers from death, verses 3 and 4 tell us, and it delivers from temptation, verses 5 and 6 tell us. What is the problem with the wicked? They indulge every craving they have, every lust they have, they chase after. And they fall by their own wickedness, verse 5 says. Because the treacherous are taken captive by their own lust. It's a picture of, of, a, of an animal being snared in a trap. They walk right into the trap of their own temptations, their own lusts. And what happens? That, that's their downfall. Just like an animal that's caught in a trap is doomed to die. That, that's what the wicked are like. They succumb to every single temptation they have. They, they run around engaging their lusts. And, and what happens? It destroys them. But not so the righteous. 
The righteous makes his way straight. He does not trip over the temptations to which the wicked succumb. The righteous person walks and she sees the trap that's been laid ahead and says, oh no, I know where that leads. You're not going to get me to step into that one so easily. That's what a righteous person does. They're delivered at. They see it coming. They see the temptation for what it is. And they utilize the way out that God always provides. Um, And thus they are saved from death. They avoid the trap. When confronted from, with the snares of death, one said, her righteousness extricates her. Um, the righteous person avoids the trap. They see the temptation for what lies behind it, and they're delivered. Righteousness delivers from death. It delivers from temptation. It delivers from trouble, verses 7 and 8 tell us. When the wicked dies, his hope will perish. And the expectation of wealth perishes too. All the things the wicked have hoped for, all the things the wicked have tried, come to an end. All the things they've tried really to trip up the righteous person. That's that's the thrust of the verse. Um, The righteous person who's been troubled by the wicked. That's the sense. That's what the wicked has really hoped for. To pull that righteous person down. That's what they've really been after. And what are we told here? That hope will perish. Their wealth perishes with them. And the righteous person will be delivered from that trouble. All the trouble the wicked person tried to do to that righteous person. The righteous person is delivered right out of it. And what does God's justice do to that wicked person? He puts it right into the trap that he had laid. That's really, that's really the thrust of that, that verse 8. The wicked walks into it instead. The, the trouble that they had laid for the righteous, they end up walking into it. And it proves the truth of what God's word tells us over and over again. We can think of Psalm 34, 19. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. There are many wicked hopes to destroy the righteous person. But what are we told? Out of all those troubles, the Lord will deliver him. And what of the wicked that have laid all these traps, who have wanted to see the righteous walk into this trouble? Well, that trouble will come on them. There's a perfection to God's justice. It's not just a, a rightness to it, but there's a perfect, perfect answering of the justice fitting the crime in that they walk into the trap they've laid. Psalm 9 tells us in verses 15 and 16, in the net that they hid, their own foot has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. What a wonderful reminder that God will deliver all of his people out of all the trouble that is set for them. Um, Every righteous person will be delivered, each and every one, by our faithful God from the traps of the wicked, and they'll be ensnared in them themselves. To the righteous belong deliverances from death, temptation, trouble, and we're told from the mouth of the wicked. Um, Verse 9 really provides a transition to the topic of speech that will dominate verses 10 through 15. 
Um, but what do we read in verse 9? With his mouth, the godless man would destroy his neighbor. Uh, that the wicked will use their mouths as weapons, intending to destroy his neighbor. Um, but the righteous are able to deliver themselves from this attack. By knowledge, the righteous are delivered. Um, how, does our, how does our knowledge deliver us from these traps? Well, God has given the righteous the knowledge to combat wicked speech. To use the word of God to combat wicked speech. Right? We can think of Christ in his temptations with the devil. How did he fight against those godless words? He fought against it with the word of God. He had been given knowledge. And he knew God's word. And he used God's word. And it delivered him out of the mouth of the devil. He was unable to destroy him because he was able to deliver himself by the knowledge of God's word. And that's what wisdom has prepared us for in this book. To know and to be able to use the wisdom of God rightly. Right, as one person put it, by knowing what to say, how to express it, and when to speak, the righteous save themselves from the trap of the godless. It's a wonderful picture of what righteousness does. Right? Righteousness delivers from death. It delivers from temptation. It delivers from trouble. It delivers from the mouth of the wicked. And it would prompt us probably at this point to say, what kind of righteousness can do all this? Certainly not my righteousness. Because we know how we do walk in ways that we should not walk. And when we've succumbed to temptation. um, When we've been torn down by the mouths of wicked people. uh, When we've been troubled. The mistakes we've made that have walked into those things. If I was depending on a righteousness of my own to deliver me from death and trouble and temptation and the wicked, that would be a disappointment. My righteousness doesn't have the power to do that. What is the righteousness that's being spoken of here? It's the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of God that we saw on display in the life of Jesus Christ. He was the one who in righteousness was delivered from death. Whose righteousness delivered him from every temptation. Whose righteousness delivered him from the trouble that the wicked tried to put him to, whose righteousness delivered him from the mouth of the wicked. And the good news is that by grace through faith, the righteousness of God has become ours. And we know that it will deliver us from these dangers because it's delivered him. And it's the same righteousness that has become ours by faith. And I think that's what this is broadcasting to us. That this is a true righteousness that will deliver God's people out of every affliction they face. Even from the final judgment, the righteousness of Christ will deliver his people. That can be our hope. That that righteousness has this power and that righteousness is ours by faith imputed to us in Jesus Christ. What hope that gives God's people as we walk through this life, where we're faced with death and temptation and trouble and wicked mouths. Uh, To know that 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 character 
that strength is ours as we are in Christ by faith. Um, And then it teaches us how to live in community, how to use the words that we have with one another. Uh, Verse 9 brings up the mouth of the wicked, and, and the rest of the verses are really about speech in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the first, first voice that we hear really is the voice of the people. The voice of the people reacting to righteousness and wickedness. Um, it's reminding us in verses 10 and 11, the righteous are always a blessing to the community. The righteous are always a blessing to the community. Um, like one scholar said, however drab the world makes out virtue to be, it appreciates the benefit of it in public life. Right? When you see, you know, it happens on the news all the time, we'll see, we'll see video of some good deed that people did. Um, and they'll say, isn't, that, isn't this wonderful that people, you know, just people, strangers, banded together and, and did this. The, the community understands we like it when, when people act in a, in a beneficial way, in a righteous way. Um, when there is righteousness, uh, the city prospers. It's a cause for the whole city to rejoice, Because the righteous are a blessing. Just as the community knows when the wicked perishes, that's a good thing too. Uh, When Nero died, Rome rejoiced. Um, When Robespierre was uh, executed by guillotine, the people rejoiced. Um, When wicked people die, people rejoice. Uh, we, We see that in history. They recognize when the wicked perishes, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for the community. Likewise, the blessing of the upright exalts the city. Uh, When the righteous are blessed, they are a blessing. Uh, That blessing overflows to those around them. When they're blessed, the whole city is blessed. Um, When the wicked are cast down, the city knows the advantage. It rejoices when the wicked perish. They threaten the very fabric of the community. They know the power of the wicked to really tear down. Again, the mouth of the wicked can overthrow the whole city. Um, It can be a problem for the whole place. And so what does, realizing this reality, this way speech is used, then how does God's word turn it to each of us to think about our own speech? Well, it talks about the importance of the communication of the skilled. How important it is for the righteous to use their speech to help not just themselves, but others. Um, And and this passage once again tells us there's a time for the righteous to be silent and there's a time for the righteous to speak. Um, I think always when Proverbs talks about being silent in our world, we should really pay attention because our world does a terrible job of being silent. Everybody is always blabbing. Um, and so anytime Proverbs says, look, up, look at your words and look how to restrain your words, we probably ought in our culture to pay particular attention. Um, when are the wise to remain silent? Well, first we're told the wise are not to belittle their neighbors. Right? It's the mouth of the wicked that overthrows the whole community. And so what is the next natural thing to think about? That the wise should not be doing that. It's the person who lacks sense who belittles and insults their neighbor. But what what does the man of understanding do by contrast? Verse 12, he remains silent. 
Remain silent, particularly in regard to belittling other people. Right? Your mother was right when she said, if you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. Um, it doesn't help to belittle the neighbor. This is particularly important when you're being belittled, when you're being insulted, um, to not respond in kind. That's really what a man of understanding knows. He understands something more of who the neighbor is at a fundamental level. The wise, as one person put it, hold themselves in check because they love their neighbor and do not harbor hatred in their hearts. The wise does not respond in kind because we understand something about our neighbors. We understand that our neighbors are made in the image of our God. And Calvin says, as hard as this can be to hear, as hard as it was for me to read it when I first read it, and harder even to apply it to my life, he said, there is something of God in your neighbor. There is a reflection of the God you love in the neighbor who's really annoying you. And he said, you know, even that, that existence of God, that reflection of God in the neighbor that really annoys you is enough for you to let your love run out just for the sake of the picture of God in them. And that's what the man of understanding, the person of understanding who has the insight of wisdom knows that that person is made in the image of God. And to insult them, to belittle them, is not just to say something about them, it's to say something about God. And the man of understanding says, I don't want to do that. I want to show love for my neighbor. I want to love even the, image, even the image of God in that person that I really can't stand. And Calvin says that really is where it's hard. It's the person you really can't stand or who has positively harmed you, the person who's insulting you. Um, but we understand something different. And so we stay silent when that happens. Because to act as the wicked do and use their tactics is something which the righteous should never do because it's the kind of thing that God hates. So we have to understand when to remain silent. We remain silent when to speak would be to insult our neighbors. And we remain silent when to speak would be to betray our, betray our neighbor's confidence to their harm. Now that's what verse 13 gets after. There are people who like to go about slandering and reveal secrets. Go about slandering is a term in the Bible for people who just do this like almost professionally. That, that's, what, that's, that's, the, that's them. That's their thing. They just go around slandering. What do they like to do? They like to learn secrets so they can reveal them. So they can reveal them to other people's harm. They're, they're always out looking for a confidence so that they can learn it and then reveal it. Learn it and then ruin it for someone else. And the wise are not to be like this. We don't betray our neighbor's confidence to their harm. That's what the slanderer wants to do, to hurt other people through those confidences. And we don't want to do that. We don't want to be acting like that. So that's when the righteous must remain silent. When should the righteous speak? When the whole community is threatened and in trouble. Because without guidance, a people falls. 
Um, and so when the community is in trouble, in the midst of trouble, in the midst of needing help, the righteous have to be heard. The righteous have to speak. Because that's where safety is found. Um, that's where help is found, in the speech of the righteous. Right? Um, famous words that we hear all the time, um, that when there's an abundance of counselors, there is safety. When the wise combine their wisdom and speak together, there is deliverance. Um, And what does that require then when the wise speak? That the wise listen to one another. It's not when one wise person speaks the the people are saved, but the abundance of counselors are safety, which means it needs wise people speaking, but part of wisdom is to be able to listen to another wise person's point of view. And to recognize that even if you're wise, there might be someone wiser who has a better idea. To be wise is to really be open to reason and to let an abundance of counselors speak together. It's in the abundance of righteous speech that there's safety. We have to speak when the community is in trouble to help deliver them, to give the guidance that's necessary. And we have to speak to help our neighbors avoid their own personal trouble kind of come full circle at the end of our passage to, again, a a very personal kind of, particular kind of thing. Just like false weights, it comes back to making a bargain to take a pledge for a stranger. Um, The thing that the son was not to do in Proverbs 6, and to do everything to extricate himself if he did it. Um, We're to try to help people keep out of that kind of trouble. That we speak when we see our neighbor going on to suffer harm, to try to deliver them. And then we see how important skilled communication is to the community. And that's what we want to be as God's people. We want to use our voices well. To be prudent in our silence. And to be prudent in our speech. uh, So that we honor the Lord and we help those around us. Because isn't that what our Lord Jesus was like? There were times he did not open his mouth. It was prudent for him to remain silent. And there were times where if he had not spoken, there would be no guidance. And he has given us that out of the abundance of his wisdom. And we should seek to follow that as his people. So we should pray more and more for this kind of conduct to be seen in us for us to be honest and humble, for this kind of righteousness to be formed in us by Christ, by putting our faith and trust in him and following his word, and for our speech to follow from our character so that we would be a blessing and never be a curse to those around us. May God give us his grace by his spirit to do this. Let's pray together. Father, your word calls us to many difficult and hard things, and we know that without the help and the holiness of the Holy Spirit worked in us by his working, we could not do these things. But we have the confidence to know that by grace, through faith, the righteousness of Christ has become ours, not only delivering us from death, but uh, promising us the, the full righteousness and the fulfillment of the Spirit's work of sanctification, Lord. So we pray you would sanctify us more and more. That you would help us in our conduct and in our character, in our communication to be a blessing to those around us. To be a mirror 
showing and reflecting what you are like and what Christ was like in the world. And so, Lord, we pray that we would use all of these things, particularly in wisdom and righteousness within our church community, that we would be this way with one another, but also that we would be a blessing to our neighbors and to the world as well. So help us in this, inform this in us by the Spirit, we pray, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.